podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. A question that Marianne Michaels has asked over and over again is, Why, in my time of need, do I not feel the spirit of my loved one watching over me? Marianne's answer is that your loved ones are watching over you, and you can receive verification that they are trying to connect. Her focus is to allow you to receive their messages. All souls have a spectrum of frequencies, or what we call vibrations. Even while in the physical body, you can work on raising the frequency of your soul. As you raise the frequency of your soul, you will easily join with the higher frequencies in which the spirit of your loved one dwells. How to raise your vibrational frequency? Have an open mind, a mind that is free from fear, judgment, and most of all, an agenda. Surrender in prayer. Stop trying to control what you believe the outcome should be. Fill your thoughts with trust, peace, joy, love, and acceptance. Stop the mental fight and surrender the outcome to a higher power. As if you were drowning, stop struggling and allow yourself to float. And as you float, be grateful that the struggle is over, and in this state of bliss, the communication will happen. As you practice this form of surrender, not only your mind, but your whole being will be filled with the essence of your loved one. As your frequency starts to change, you will begin to see the world around you in an uplifting way, and you will attract people with the same vibration. Together, you will become a support system of hope. When this happens, you will start to view the world as if you were viewing it from spirit. The gates of communication will open, and you will truly know that you have connected with your loved one's spirit. When Marianne was writing her book, Healing the Heart of Grief, she was fortunate to meet the spirit of a horse named Danny. Throughout the year, he has given her many wonderful messages. Here's one she shares. As a horse in life, I experienced fear and confinement. Not that humans ever meant to harm me, it was just their way to keep me safe. What I have learned in spirit from my wild Mustang brothers is that I had the choice to look at my confined box and my small grassed area as my endless world. 
If only at that time I had had the wisdom of my wild brothers. But instead, I learned only the constrictions of mere survival. As I now run free in my heavenly pastures, I realize this is what life was supposed to be. My pastures were always endless, and my joy and excitement were the search for my next blade of grass. Remember the teachings of the Wild Brothers, and that you too can run free. When you open your mind, you will no longer be in that confined box. Valeria interviews Marianne. Marianne Michael's journey as a spiritual medium began at a young age. Every time I told my mother that I was visited by someone in a dream, she made me go through the family photo album to see if I could recognize the person. My intuitive gift was accepted and nurtured in the home, she writes. The tragic death of her older brother when she was just five only confirmed her path. In her latest book, Healing the Heart of Grief, Marianne draws on her lifetime of experience communicating with spirits to describe how it feels to die, who meets us, and what it is like on the other side. She gives us a new understanding of death, a realization that our loved ones are always near, and a guide to living. To read more about Marianne and her work, please visit her website at mariannemichaels.com. Here is the interview with Marianne Michaels. In your own words, who is Marianne Michaels? Marianne Michaels is a person who communicates with the other side. I heal the heart of those who are grieving. I help people understand there is no death. That sounds wonderful to me, and I have a lot of questions for you. But before I ask them, before we talk about some of the topics in your book as well, Healing the Heart of Grief, I have those questions. I call them warm-up questions. So the first one is, what is life to you? Well, I would love to say that life is a joyful experience, but I really feel that because I deal with the other side so much, I believe that this is a classroom. I believe we come here in order to grow our soul, to become one with a higher power. I like to say God, but that's what I believe we do. I believe it's a classroom of learning for our soul. And if we can live in the moment and find joy along the way, that's an added advantage. Yeah, that's a very interesting definition for life. What kinds of lessons we are here to learn? And if there is a grand ultimate lesson? I believe that there are two emotions that rule the human body and I, or the human mind. And I believe it's love and it's fear. If there's fear, it, it can it can manifest into many different things, which is where you get hate and jealousy and all the the ugliness that comes into play. But love is, if we can love beyond ourselves, beyond others, and have a more unconditional way of looking at things, that's what our soul is here for. Our soul is here 
to understand love. Yeah, that resonates a lot. Do you believe or think that there is such a thing as an opposite to life? I believe in the afterlife. I've seen it too much. And even not, I'm a medium. So I should have said that in the beginning. I mean, that's the main thing that I am is a medium. So I am able to look into the other side. I'm able to, I'm an advocate for spirit more than anything else. But if we can step back and we go to nurses, hospice nurses, hospital workers, they will tell you over and over again before one dies, they are viewing something that we consider not here. They are tapping into another life. They are calling loved ones on the other side who are coming to get them. So I think for someone who's not a medium, there's so much proof out there that there is life after death. Near life experiences, that even shows us that there's a life beyond what we think of the physical. Yeah, I'm wondering what makes us believe that there isn't. I'm just wondering what causes that. I think religious beliefs. I was raised Catholic. It's so, I mean, I think different religious beliefs make us believe there's different things happen when we die. And I do believe that I believe in heaven, but I also, and I believe souls go to heaven. I don't believe in hell. And so I believe that when you transition to the other side, I believe that there's another dimension. But I like to call it heaven because it's comforting for a lot of people. But what it really is, is a dimension outside the physical dimension that we live in. How did you discover that you were a medium, Marianne? Let me tell you, I did not want to grow up to be a medium. That's <laughs> not what I expected. As a child, I would see spirits and I would tell my mother about it and she'd run and get the family album out and she would tell me, who did you see? And I was able to go through it and pick people out. And it was a kind of a quiet thing that her and I did. So I knew from a young age that it was okay to see spirits. But as I started to grow, my brother died when I was five. And it was a very a sudden death. He drowned. And my mother kind of lost her belief in the spirit world because she was so filled with grief. She wanted, a, she wanted my brother in the here and now. So my mother and I kind of separated in, in our thought systems. And I went on to, to my own thoughts as I was growing up but I was different and I was tired of being different because kids, I didn't see things the way other kids did. So eventually I left, I was lived in New Jersey. I left New Jersey and I moved to New York city where I lived a very wild life. And I talk about that a lot in my first book, a second chance to say goodbye. And then eventually I was very unhappy and I needed to grab onto my spirit life again so I started studying um, with different teachers in New York City, and all that came to me was the dead. And I didn't want that. I wanted to give people angels and joyful things. I didn't want to deal with grief, grief because I watched it as a child for so long that I didn't want to see it again. So I fought it and fought it. And then 
I'll tell you a quick story. I had a woman come to me and I was working um, as a medium, um, no, as a, as, a, as a spiritual counselor in New York City. And I started to tell her about her angels and everything. And she started crying and said, I want my son. And I, I did not want to do it, but I knew I had to. So I looked beyond, with inside my third eye and beyond, and there was a little boy. He was about nine years old. He was bald. It looked as, as, as if he had cancer. And I asked him, why don't you come to your mother? And he said, because I make her cry. I want my mother to remember all the joy we had, not the sadness of me not being with her because I am still with her. And when I gave her that message, she hugged me and said, I'm going to be okay. From that moment on, I knew I was going to be a medium. Instead of after life, it seems like there's just life. So everything's happening now. The now and the then, it's here. What is another word for grief? I think it's sadness of your heart. I don't like to use the word loss. That you feel an emptiness or a loss. Because one time a woman said to me, I lost my husband. And her husband replied to me, he was dead, his spirit. I'm not lost. I'm right here. (laughs) Why does she keep saying I'm lost? (laughs) So I don't like to use that word. but it's Or it's a hole within the heart, an emptiness, a, a piece of you that's missing. I wonder if with this deep understanding, the understanding of the truth that we never die, there's no such a thing, we lose the body, but this is also part of the experience of being a human being. I'm wondering if that understanding, when deep and enough, can give us this comfort where we still can, yeah, maybe not be joyful all the time, but carry this inner peace because there's light, you know, smile that, of knowing the truth. Did that help you to go through grief and kind of transmute that energy into peace? I think so. I think what has helped me is how spirit talks about it, that there is no time. So was very saddened by the death of my mother. I was very close to her, and it was just in 2012. But I know that I can't focus on that. I need to focus on my soul's journey so I can complete what I have to be, what I have to do in order to return truly home. And there's no time. So To the spirit world, they're not thinking, oh, she's not seeing me for 50 more years. What they're thinking is, just get your stuff done so we (laughs) could be together. So my next question is about freedom. What does it mean to be free? What is freedom to you, Marianne? Freedom is not having fear. I go back to fear again because I feel that fear puts you in a cage. When I was a child, I felt I I never felt free. I felt very confined, very smothered, suffocated. Because after my brother had the accident, my mother had so much fear that maybe I would die. And that's quite common for a lot of parents whose children do die. Then they worry about the other one. So because of her fear, I felt trapped. And when I let go of the fear, even in, in what we're going through now, 
Um, there's so much fear out there. When you lose the fear and you know you're predestined to what's going to happen, you have to kind of work with certain things. I don't believe that everything is set in stone, but there is a sort of predestined to your soul. And I believe that we have to live each day as if it was our last. I mean, Stephen Levine, a Buddhist teacher, he talks about, he, well, he's, he's crossed over. He talked about that a lot, about we have to live each day like it is our last day. And if we live and talk to people like we're dying tomorrow, then you will live free. Speaking of what's happening in the world today, um, I know you mentioned fear, but I'll ask you the question. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? I don't know if I have a vision for a new reality. I think this is where our karma is. I think this is where we're going, but I'm seeing that. It's the fear of many different things just taking over us. But what I do believe the main fear is people are afraid to die. And once you realize you can live in your house, you can hide, you really can't hide from death because if you're going to die, you're going to die. So you can't fear it. You just have to embrace life and love put love out there, put love forward, love people, um, show people love, um, animals, everything that you come about is be loved. And I think that can free you from the fear that's holding us back. Yeah, I love that. Beautiful and true to me. It always goes back to love. And that's my next question. I have to ask you, what is love to you? Uh, how do you define love? Well, the way I think of love is non-judgment. I think that we can love people the way we want them to be, love ourselves. I think that's a big important thing because remember, we're here for our own soul growth and we come in with circumstances from our childhood that's going to pull us away from our center. And when we get pulled away from our center, we we second guess ourselves and who we are and what we're supposed to be. And I think we have to just love ourselves before we can love anyone else and love who we are. Remember, if we make a mistake, someone else makes a mistake, we can't judge that because with every moment, their consciousness changes, our consciousness changes. I'm not the same person I was two hours ago. (laughs) I've changed just from our conversation. We all change. And I think that is what love is, just allowing ourselves to move with this change and the acceptance of the things that happen. And in, in my book, A Second Chance, I mean, the new book, Healing the Heart of Grief, I go through a lot of emotions that people feel with grief. It's um, guilt, regret, um, forgiveness, um, all these feelings. And through the help of spirit, allowing you to let go of these feelings so you can find love again. Right, right. I love the ending. So we find love again. It is. And, And I think remembering that this death did not happen to you. 
this is a hard concept, but it happened for you. It ha- it, it's there to teach you death is the end of a life, but not of a relationship. The relationship you have lives on. And how can you become empowered by this horrific death that's happened in your life? And that's the hardest thing for people to find empowerment through death. And that's where I'm here to help them find that. Yeah, I Absolutely. Again, love your message and the profound wisdom, finding the message, the meaning, and knowing that there's no such a thing. Like you said, I love that relationship never ends. Perhaps the physical body, it does end, but not the relationship. Yes. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? Yes. I think it's a a hard place. I think it's the hardest. I think we judge ourselves <laughs> yeah. too much. Yeah. I And to unconditionally love ourselves, again, just like I said before, we're forever changing. So we can't base ourselves or criticize ourselves in something we did in the past because we learn, hopefully, we learn from it and then we can move on from what is going to come in, in, in the future and just unconditionally love ourselves so we can unconditionally love others. Two more questions for you. The next one is about God. What, where, and who is God to you? Oh, God has changed many different times in my life, especially from being raised Catholic. Um, God used to be a man in the sky that pointed a finger at me. But as, as, as I grew into understanding spirit, I feel it's an energy. I feel it's a love. I feel because of this, and no matter how you live your life, which does matter, but when you die, you are loved. God loves you. God loves the essence of who you are. And you, yes, there's karma, and you have to make right the things or, or take responsibility for the things you make or did when you died. But you are not judged. God's not there judging you. God is there to love you. It's an energy. And I, be, I believe that once you get this right, you become one with God. You become part of this universal energy that's part of the world. But unfortunately, myself included, I'm not. I, it, it's very hard to live a life of full love every day in order to be clear my soul to become one with God. Do you see a difference between spirituality and religion? I do. I think spirituality is not judgmental. We encompass all. Because remember, I have a funny story. I was doing a reading for a, a client and she wanted to talk to her father. And that's all I knew, that she came to talk to her father. And this man comes through to me, a spirit, very angry. And he says, I'm in hell. Uh-huh. And I said, hell? I don't believe in hell. How can you be in hell? He says, well, I'm over here and I'm here with a rabbi. I'm here with a priest. I'm here. And he named all these religious figures. And I said to her, what is he talking about? She said he was a pastor and he believed that when he went to heaven, it was only going to be his congregation. Oh, wow. So his realization was all these other spiritual beings that might have been as narrow-minded as him. Now they're all together. Right. <laughs> and all of a sudden now it's hell, but it's their own it's their own perception of it, which made me laugh so hard. Yeah, and eventually funny. I talked to her a year later and he was over it. So I think that spirituality encompasses all, where religion leaves many out. 
A very interesting concept, the religious organizations that they are trying to put a message out there that's beautiful. It's about love, but it creates so much separation. And that doesn't make sense. It never did to me. No, but you know something? I do have to say this, though. If you can practice a religion, I don't. I'm a, I'm, I'm a practicing Buddhist, but it's a philosophy now. But if you practice a religion and it makes you the best that you can be without segregating or judging someone else, then that religion works for you. I mean, it's, I can't say something doesn't work for another, but if it, but if it makes you very, I'm right, I'm right, you're wrong, then it's not working. Yes, I agree a hundred percent. True. So let's talk about your work. And my first question is about the inspiration and intention of writing your book, Healing the Heart of Grief. And also, how did you become a writer? Well, I'm not a writer. I had many editors, believe me. And I tell them all the time. I, I go through a lot of editors a lot of people who have gone over the book to make it as perfect as it is. I just write my experiences down. And what I do well is I can put things together in a good way. But the writing process was hard. My first book, A Second Chance to Say Goodbye, took me a couple of years. Healing the Heart of Grief took me about seven years to put together. Where my first book, I had the stories from, from working and I wanted to share what it was like to transition, how to cross over. And, and what I also wanted was to teach people to communicate with your loved ones yourself. Like I want to give you the tools so you can hear their voice or see them or feel them. With Healing the Heart of Grief, my second book, it's stories of hope and inspiration. So there are stories in here that through death have the the people in the story through the help of the spirit, me communicating with the spirit has helped them become empowered. And it was hard to find people who really become empowered by death. So it took me a long time to gather these stories and put them together. So the actual writing was about two years, but it was about Five years of gathering the stories. What insights did you gain, Marianne, in the process of writing the book? Did you learn new things? Yes, I learned how these people that I talked to, whether they were in spirit or the people that were here left in human form, how amazing they were. How through the hard times, had they have found ways to help others and come forward with these stories and how spirit was so eager to tell and help their loved ones come through it. I absolutely love the themes in your book, and I'll be asking questions about them. And the first one is letting go. I would like you to um, tell me how do we know when we are letting go and when we are giving up? Letting go feels freeing. We'll use the word freeing again. Giving up is a control that we still feel we, we are. We still have control because if we're truly letting go, we have freed ourselves from holding on 
And it's also when a lot of people, to take it in a different direction, people will feel letting go is letting their loved ones go. But it's not letting their loved ones go. It's letting the grief the grief move through us and letting go the grief because your loved ones don't go. They're in another dimension. They're working on themselves. But there's the connection with you is forever. This thread of connection with your loved ones will never be let go. Um, but they want to see you let go of the grief because they're experiencing peace and they want you to feel their peace. Do you use these words in the same way? Uh, Letting go, surrender, and acceptance? Yes, it's used the same in many of the stories, but it has different meaning at times. Would you say that surrender uh, would have a more um, profound meaning? I think so. I think with everything, I, I practice surrender a lot because I'll find myself really struggling with, with different things that come up in my life and the way my life is, the way my, I don't live in New York City anymore. I live in a small town in Pennsylvania. That all took a change for me. And to not be able to control my life the way I think it should be is to sometimes I just have to throw myself on my knees and surrender. And as the things happen, I just have to really surrender it and not care about the outcome. It's letting that outcome go. Talk to me about forgiveness and the way you connect forgiveness to compassion. Well, I think that forgiveness is a key. In order to heal, first you have to forgive yourself and you have to forgive anyone who's hurt you. And in my book, I go through a lot with forgiveness because... People think, okay, someone's hurt me. I have to forgive them. And I have to let them know I forgive them. And that's good. But depending where that person is at at the time, which you can't control, is how they're going to accept your forgiveness. So it's not really about the other person or what the other person did that's made you hold on to this. It's about you forgiving them. I tell people to write a letter. Um, If someone has died and you have issues with them before they died, write a letter, write a letter, burn it. You don't have to send it. What you have to do is learn how to forgive in your heart. Um, I know myself when I went through my divorce, it was devastating for me. And the only way that I could heal from the divorce and what had happened was to forgive him. And I worked with radical forgiveness. And through radical forgiveness, I had a radical forgiveness coach and I was able to, to, it took months in order for one day I woke up and I didn't feel that heaviness in me that I had forgave him and I had taken the gifts that my ex-husband gave me so I could move on with my life, but I couldn't see the gifts until I forgave him. That's how powerful it is, forgiveness. And that's compassion too, right, Marianne? You connect these words. Forgiving is an act of compassion. Yes, for yourself also, because you can only be compassionate to yourself when you hold that. Anger is another one. You hold on to anger, um, anger and forgive. They all kind of fall in the same merry-go-round together. You know, they're, they're, it's the same dance. And I think that... Um, The compassion is once you find compassion for yourself 
and what has happened and accept that it, I, it, the thing that is hard for a lot of people before you're born, I believe you plan your life out. So the person that's going to die in your life says to you, I'm going to come into their soul. Their soul says to you, I'm going to come into your life and then I'm going to die. And you're going to learn there is no death. You're going to learn um, compassion and love and forgiveness all through my death. And your soul says, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's do that. (laughs) And then when you come here and you forget all that, you're like, where do I sign up for this? Yeah, right. <laughs> True. But it's there. So the only way to go forward is to find compassion. Yeah, yes, I agree. I'm wondering if we can change that, this agreement that we have made before coming here. Do you think it is possible to change? I think if we can get the lesson, but usually something like, The soul that's dying early is also dying early because they don't have to experience arthritis and all the other stuff. They get through it early. So the death may still happen or you come into contact with that person. But I believe that if we can have love and compassion early on in our lives, then we can burn through a lot of the things that that we're, we're meant to have. I often ask people I interview about grief, so I'll ask you too. Do you think it's possible to prepare for losing someone we love? Oh, definitely. You Now, is that question meaning prepare when we they're sick and we know they're going to die or just prepare as a life lesson? As a life lesson. So whatever happens, we accept it Yeah, faster. I think once we start to understand that, there is no death and that they're not really gone. The thing is, a lot of us humans are lazy. And <laughs> just as if I said to somebody, most people, can you run five blocks and come back? Most people can't. I can't. But if you practice, you'll be able to. So if you practice every day, meditating and doing the exercises that I teach, you can communicate with your loved one. And there is no death. It's learning how to pick up the phone to the other side. And once you start to understand there is no death and and the peace and the love that is felt on the other side, I, I don't, I think you celebrate someone who's dying and not turn it about you to grieve them. It sounds to me like a selfish act, like it's all about me and now you're dying, I'm going to miss you and all that. I do sense that love and compassion can be there. And that's another fascinating topic, accessing the intuition, the spirit, as you call it, or the spirit world. Can we all do that? Or this is a special talent? It's our right to do it. All I have done that most people haven't, I've learned to shut my mind down. I have learned, like, I'm not open now when on reality shows that you can't be open all the time or you'd be crazy. When I work and I open up, and once I do that, I am then able to tap into that. What I am doing is shutting my mind down. I know nothing about Marianne at that point. And what you learn through meditating all the time is how to shut your mind down and then how you can learn to meet your angel or spirit guide first, and then then they take you 
to the next realms of the of the dead um, or the spirit world. Um, so that is our right to do it. I've just practiced and I studied it for, I studied for years living in New York City. It just didn't happen. And, and yes, that the mediumship part did happen for me, but the other part of it was, it was a lot of work that went into it. And if people are willing to put that work into it, yes, I have students that are, are still with me after 13 years and they have communication with their loved ones. Actually, we all have that ability, but it's a matter of practicing and accessing that. Training. Training. And you teach that, right, Marian? I do. I have workshops. I have CDs or downloads that I have through my first book. And I have, I have th- uh, also downloads my second book, but the actual teaching is in my first book. How do we know when we are healed, when we have finally moved forward? Was there such a thing as being griefless? No, I know what you mean. No, I don't I don't think there's ever total healing. I think that a piece of you because we're in the physical. As a physical human being, we need physical contact. We need physical touch. They say when a baby's born, if it's not held right away, it will die. They have hire people to hold babies because as a physical body, we need to feel touch. And once the our loved one is not here to, to touch or hold, we, we grieve. So there'll always be a part of grief, but it's the acceptance, which Elizabeth Kubler-Ross says, it, you, it comes back and forth. You're never fully, you full, it's never fully gone. So um, I, I believe that's true, but I believe the acceptance comes when we're able to feel their peace and their joy and take it and take it off of us and not feel guilty because today you felt joy. Today you felt happiness. Uh, and once you allow that to come into your life and gratitude, gratitude's another big part of it then I think the acceptance becomes more and more. So it goes back to the practice. It's a practice, the training, all this. Yeah, reconditioning your mind. So in a way, sorrow and joy, they can coexist. We can have both without feeling uh, guilt or shame for being sad, which is another thing. I noticed some people, they do that. We have these it's almost like a stigma around grief and sadness. You're right. People try to push it away because you, or take antidepressants because they don't want to feel it. In Buddhism, we say that happiness is fleeting. So once you grab happiness, you have to do something else to get happiness again. It's never a state of forever. It's always you're shooting for the next, the next thing, or we're trying to numb anything that's not because we feel that people who we care about get tired of us if we're not happy or not sad. And you're exactly right. It's the way society has made us feel. There's been people that are are still grieving and people will say, you're still grieving. It's been two years. Well, people go back and forth. Uh, You have this in your book about trusting to love again. That's such a beautiful phrase. For some reason, it kind of captured me. 
that will be my last question for this section. How do we learn to trust and love again after grief or after losing somebody we attached to? Well, I think we don't have a choice. We can't lock ourselves away. And it, it, whether it, anything that happens, if um, a, a divorce, how do we trust someone else? It's putting ourselves into a place of loving and not worrying about the outcome. So that's unconditional love, right? Yes, yes, right. In your book, you have the uh, loving kindness meditation too. Would you want it to recite that meditation? Sure. I just have to, well, the loving kindness meditation is it, it's all over the internet. Insight meditation does a wonderful one and it's not my meditation. The loving kindness meditation is part of a, a Buddhist practice. And, um, it just, it, the four word lines is, may I be safe? May I be happy? May I be healthy? May I be peaceful and at ease. And then you think of someone that you care about. You repeat that. And then you think of someone that you're neutral about. And then someone you may not care so much about or have a problem. I hate to use the word problem, but but have negative emotions about. And that's the real power is when you can visualize someone that has hurt you um, or been unkind to you, and you can ask for them to be safe, healthy, happy, peaceful, and at ease. That's the power of that, of that meditation. Yeah. It's called loving kindness meditation for a reason, right, Marianne? <laughs> Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Maybe instead of read it, I would like to tell it, tell the story. One of that stands out for me the most that has always been a learning experience for me was a woman um, who came to see me. And through spirit communication, she was able to heal. But the story is she was a Zumba class and she got a call from her son. Now, she lived in Florida. He lived in New Jersey. They, they weren't close, but she figured, oh, I really want to talk to him, but I'll call him as soon as my class is over. So she gets out of class. She calls him, can't get in touch with him. Um, days go by. She can't get in touch with him. What, what it happened was he, shortly after that phone call, shot himself and he died. And she felt such guilt because she felt that she would be able to pick up the phone. If she picked up the phone, she could have stopped him. But from what he told me, his spirit told me, is he called her to just touch base with her, to hear her voice again, but he was going to kill himself no matter what. She wasn't going to stop him. And he wasn't going to tell her the plan. So whether she picked up the phone or not, it really made no difference. And But she had to believe that. And as she came to see me over and over, and she talked to her son, Nick, and he told her that he was at peace. He had suffered from mental illness. And, and he was finally now, his mind, his mind, which still travels with you when you die, your brain dies, but your mind travels, was finally becoming clear. And he was understanding why he victimized himself so much. And he was finding that peace and wanted to share it with her. 
But that wasn't enough for her. She felt the need that she had to heal. So for a while later, she finally got in touch with me and she found her peace by working on a suicide hotline where she'd never miss the call again. Oh, wow. How wonderful. An empowering story of how this woman, through the death of this child, is now gets on that phone and is determined to help someone else's child. She became selfless, which is huge, huge, I think, for me. The path that we all ought to be in practicing to become selfless. Beautiful, Marianne. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in life as of today? I think being a mom, being a mom was hard. That learning that I was just the vehicle for these souls to come through and keep reminding myself of that every day. Sometime intuitively, um, my, my brother who's crossed over has a strong connection with my son and I'll, I'll understand and know things, but there's still his choices and the things that he has to do. I find difficult sometimes. I find this path as a mother hard, hard in allowing this, these, I have a daughter also, these two souls to grow and, and, and get the lessons that they need for their souls to grow. I'm not a mother, but that must be a lesson for all mothers to let go of that soul and respect the choices that they make. If you knew you would die soon, losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? I try to live, live each day like I am going to die. I see, I talk about death all the time. I, I, I know death is real. A lot of people think of death as a shadow upon their lives, but no, death walks with me all the time. So I do understand death is there. And I, I, I try to live each day and try to treat everyone in my life like death is, will happen um, to me um, tomorrow and to live my life like that today. That becomes a lot more urgent, right? I think we are more propelled to do the things we need to do. My last question, what are three things about life you know for sure? I know there's pain, I know there's peace, and I know there's love. And they all coexist they, <laughs> and dance. <laughs> they do. And I think one thing I'd like to, to say is one other part of my work that I do is I go to the bedside of people who are dying. And uh, people tell me, don't you feel sad? You know, there, there's such sadness around. I view the spirit as reaching to this light and trying to get out of a sick body to go home. And it's beautiful. And once you see that, you, you can't fear death anymore. Thank you so much for this conversation. It has been meaningful. I love how genuine and authentic you are. I love your message, your profound message and wisdom. We need them in the world, a lot more of this. And I have one more technical question for you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for reaching out to me. This has been a wonderful experience for me also. And I love your podcast. I started listening to them once you reached out to me. I love them. And as far as contacting me, everything is on my website. My name is Marianne Michaels, and you would spell it M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E 
Michaels, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-S dot com. Wonderful. It's Marianne with the I. Right. <laughs> I'll have the link. Awesome. So they will be able to see it. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Marianne Michaels, please visit her website, MarianneMichaels.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bigrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.